Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Run for PRs Coaching. So Run for PRs Coaching helps runners of all abilities discover their inner strength and potential. They understand how difficult it can be to juggle your training with family, career, and other pursuits and are excited to help support you in your athletic journey while helping you reach new heights. So Run for PR Coaches work with athletes from all over the world through an online coaching platform that allows them to schedule your runs, review them, communicate feedback, and hold you accountable. That's the big one for me, holding you accountable. So all their coaches are Boston Marathon qualifiers, and as you may know, this is the week for Boston Marathon registration. Pretty exciting time for all of those people, that's for sure. And they have years of coaching experience. If you want to learn more, go to number 4 PRS, that's runforprs.co, or on Instagram at runforprs. And you go on there, you fill out your form in the How Did You Hear About Us section, just type in Rambling Runner. So that's how you heard about it, and I would give it a shot. So, with that being said, today's episode is with an absolutely, I feel like I've been saying this a lot. An absolutely incredible runner. Uh, so today's episode is with Jenny Hitchens. Jenny has just done just so many remarkable things in 2018. Um, So to start off with, she won Mountains to Beach Marathon, which is a very popular race out in California. She then set the American record for her age group, the 55 to 59-year-old age group, in the 5K. She also kicked butt in a six-mile race and then set another American record for her age group in the 10-mile just last weekend. Not only that, she started running seriously at age 40 and is now also a coach. In order to do all those things, obviously you have to have a strong love for the sport, which Jenny has. So without further ado, I want you to dive into this episode. It's a great one with Jenny Hitchings. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great, but I have a feeling I'm not doing quite as well as you at this moment. <laughs> Why? Because I'm drinking a glass of wine right now? Oh, isn't that nice? I have a head cold. <laughs> I'm sticking with water, but that does sound wonderful. I'm thinking, however, a little bit more about what you were able to do yesterday. Yes. First of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. So, just as you ran in the Buffalo Stampede 10 miler yesterday. Yes. And it wasn't just any normal race. Tell, tell the folks what happened. Well, it's a t- our local 10-mile race here in town. And uh, it turned out that the course was going to be certified, sanctioned, and a legit course to run um, an American record on. So I decided to go for an American record um, for my age group um, yesterday. And that meant breaking a record, I believe, since 1998 or seven, I I can't really recall, of uh, 102.39. And I I thought I could probably do that. Um, And I ended up running a 101.20. So um, not only did I make or break the American record, um, but I also had a massive uh, personal best race for the 10 miler. And um, so I was pretty happy. So that both of those statements are so amazing to hear. First of all, setting an American record, congratulations. However, it's not as if you haven't done it before. You set an American record for your age group, 55 to 59, just a few months ago in the 5K, which is amazing. And then you also won the Mountain Speech Marathon. You've had one heck of a 2018, Jenny. This is really That's something else. That's true. I went from a... Winning mountains to beach to, um, yeah, then running a wharf to wharf six miler in Santa Cruz and having a personal best time on that course as well to the Susan B. Anthony 5K on August 11th. um, And yeah, having another PR in the 5K and making um, an American record. And then, yeah, yesterday. So um, I don't know what that means for future races, but um, I, I think I'm getting a little tired. (laughs) <laughs> I think you need to start tackling world records yeah. here, Jenny. I, I mean, it's well, like 
you know, I think I think Amer- America can't hold you now. You need to just go. You know, well, funny you should say that because I actually thought I wonder if this was a world record. You know, yesterday, so you start searching all over USA track and field and IAAF and all these different sites on world records, and you know, then you I finally come to the conclusion, and actually, even someone wrote me that you know what, no one keeps track of uh, Masters world records. It's just it's just too hard, and there's just really not enough. I guess, ways uh, to kind of do those statistics or, you know, keep it all in check. So no one really knows what the world record is, but it could have been a world record, actually. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. So you ran, so that's 608 mile pace. Yeah. Six... For the 10 miler. So you, you've, you've kind of really achieved a lot of things at a variety of different um, races in terms of race length. You got the, the marathon, the six miler, the 10 miler. And the 5K, which is amazing because I know I read one uh, one magazine article about you that you actually thought the marathon was your was your was your jam, and here you are setting records at, at you know at much smaller distances. And it's true, I still think of myself as a distance runner and more of a marathoner because I've probably had the most success in the marathon, and um, you know they always tend to be around. I'm really good at keeping the same pace for a long period of time, which is why I think the marathon has always worked for me. And I've never really put a whole lot of effort into the shorter distances because um, I found the shorter distances actually in some ways harder to do. They, the workouts were harder. I got more tighter. I just found them a little more stressful, I guess, than the marathon, even though they were over quicker. Um, um, I just seemed to adapt better to marathon training, but um, yeah, I don't know. And even as they say, the older you get, you know, you shouldn't even be able to really succeed in some of these shorter distances. Though I do have friends that have always thought I would have been a good 5K or a 10K or had I actually really trained for them. But I can imagine. Well, I would have to say you are a good 5K considering that you have the record to prove it for my, for <laughs> so, my age I think we can, yeah we, we can kind of dispense with the fact that i could have been i should have been you are already those things that's for sure um but it's also how it's so interesting how you you put it in terms of how training may have differed if you went for different races because one of the things that kind of over time the more familiar i get with running and the deeper dive i take you know talking to coaches is i was surprised like if you had told me 10 years ago that marathoners and people who run 5K, 10K at the highest levels actually train fairly similarly. I think for a lot of amateurs, there's a big difference potentially. But for the best runners, there really isn't that much of a difference for a lot of the uh, day-to-day stuff. Yeah, I think it's true. It's just sort of a matter of, uh, you know, that we I probably you, know, you run a little bit further, your intervals might be a little bit longer, your recoveries might be a little bit longer, the shorter stuff. It's a lot of the same kind of workouts. It's just, you know, again, shorter intervals, shorter recoveries, you know, not as long a runs like, um, but I actually enjoy uh, the long run or actually enjoy the longer intervals. I find it a little bit more relaxing and easy on my body or easier on my body than I do the short, fast stuff. Um, all right, so I can't wait to dive in to, to each of these races because they're all they're all simply amazing. I mean, any one of these races could like basically be an entire podcast in and of itself. But before we get into them, I think one of the most interesting things that I read about you when I was doing the research for this was that you're you basically started running competitively at age forty yes. back in two thousand four. Yes. So walk us through. Prior to that time, you know, what from an activity standpoint, how active were you? What kind of like athlete were you? Maybe in other sports, or just what kind of active lifestyle were you living um, up to that point? I have to say that um, I've always been active, you know, but um, I never really knew my potential as a runner until I hit about late thirties, forty. Where, but you know, I started running when I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I just wanted to stay fit. And how can you not want to run in Santa Barbara? And you know, that's where it all sort of started was just easy runs. And then that easy run started to challenging myself into a longer run. And can I do this a little bit faster? And then, you know, did my first marathons around 1980. I don't even really remember 82 and or 86, I think it was um, in about a four hour time period. I did 
San Francisco marathon and LA marathon as my first marathons. And I, I just really didn't take it that seriously, but that's what I did. I've, I, I ran when I was in high school. I played soccer. I was on the swim team for a month. Um, I don't know. I was never really that great at these things, but I sort of wish I had done cross country or track and that stuff in high school, but I didn't. Um, it would have been interesting to see what kind of runner I would have been way back when. Um, but so athletically, you know, I, I really didn't do that much, though I was an active person. Um, and then, yeah, started at Santa Barbara and just kind of kept continuing day to day. And it wasn't really until I got married, had some kids, and then moved to Sacramento and joined my first running club here and met people who really knew how to run and really knew how to train. And they got me very involved in just the whole running community and races and how to do it correctly. So now what run club is that? Because I'll tell you, I I'm an East coaster, but I swear. And I've said this in another podcast as well. So I, so it's just, it's just one of those things that it's kind of like this red blinking light from across the country is that Sacramento seems to have such a strong running community, not only in terms of the amount of people, but the connections uh, you know, amongst all those yes. people. I think it's gotten bigger and bigger at the time when I first started running in the Cubs, there was only about three or four running clubs. And the one I joined was the Buffalo Chips Running Club. And actually, they're the ones that put on the race yesterday. That's the Buffalo Stampede. Um, and so that was the first one. And I was there for quite a while and ran with them and on the board for a little bit. And then I coached their team for a while. And then I parted ways with them and tried running some ultras and joining Fleet Feet Ultra Team for a little bit. And then after that, basically went on to being on the um, SRA Elite Team, which is my team right now, and also running for uh, Rabbit Elite as well. In SRA, they're the ones who put on CIM? Yes, so that's the Sacramento Running Association, and they have an elite team. And yes, so they put on a lot of races actually up this way. And, um, and even since they've come into... Um, the, the area and they've been formed at, we've gotten even faster and faster runners coming to Sacramento and joining the team and it's built quite a reputation for itself so that's been fun so when you've started picking up running you know fairly seriously around the age of 40 what did that look like for you say the first year or so in terms of you know your you know, weekly mileage and what you were looking at in terms of short term and long term goals well even that I just you know I joined the club I made some friends who were running they sort of showed me how to do a couple workouts like I never heard about an interval or a fartlek or I don't know pickups any of that stuff I, I just I just always went for a run and so now I had these people sort of teaching me about um different methods on how to train for certain races. And I would sort of follow along, but not really know what quite what I was doing. I didn't have a whole lot of direction with it. I, I didn't have a schedule that I actually followed. And, but they just sort of taught me a lot about running in general and pacing and that kind of stuff. But I started getting hurt more and more. And, um, you know, I, I think I wasn't quite listening to my body right, or I wasn't doing maybe the intervals correctly or taking the right amount of recovery or whatever I needed to do. So I finally, um, I, you know, hired a coach and his name was Brett Schumacher from Arizona. And I hired him and I worked with him for about eight years. And he really changed uh, who I am as a runner by really setting me up with a program and, you know, my schedules and here's what you need to do. And this is when you need to take a break. And I, he just, he was my brain. And as much as I was a, becoming a good runner, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to train myself. I needed a brain for me. So. I, I understand. I feel the exact same way about my running. So like if I don't delegate it, it usually goes in the yeah, toilet pretty quick. Total swirly. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when did you start to realize that you had a certain amount of latent potential, um, in you, know, in you that you could really start capitalizing on? Was there like a race or a workout or a series of races or workouts where all of a sudden you went from, hey, like this is something I like to do and I'm fairly good at it. I enjoy being out here to like, wow, like maybe I have something here that can really make this interesting. Well, I think um, I had, like I said, I had done a couple marathons before I got serious about running. And then when I came here 
and again, started doing a little bit more training. And I just decided to go do, I think my, I did a marathon. I hadn't done one in so long. And it was the one in Vancouver. It was Vancouver marathon. And I went from running two, four different four hour marathons to running a, a 310 in Vancouver. And I thought, you know, huh. I mean, that was a pretty big jump in uh, time. And, you know, with some proper training, I saw what I could do. And then I guess my next marathon after that was, I, I'm, it might've been one or two, but I went, I ended up doing a sub three marathon at, at California International Marathon. And it was right when I started doing that, running a sub three, that I realized that I probably had a little bit of talent in the marathon. And if I worked harder at it and really picked up my mileage and, and trained pr- appropriately, I could be, be good at that race. Um, like I said, I was becoming good at sort of running a certain pace for a long period of time. And um, so it was probably around that time. And I think it was when I was in four, even 47, 46, 47, I just started to having, you know, personal bests in every race that I was doing. Um, so again, I was recognizing that my training, whatever I was doing was working for me and that my body was responding and that I actually had a little bit of, of talent because I was getting older, but still being able to, you know, get faster. And that is such a revelation to so many people, um, including myself. Like I'm 37 right now. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, Oh, I missed my opportunity. Yeah. Like I was so much faster when I was younger. I missed my opportunity. And now it's all downhill from here. Like maybe it's a slow downhill, like very slight decline. Well, I think that you can feel like, like you have these slight down, but I, so much of it, Matt, I think also just comes from, and I've said this in a couple articles and I tell this to the people I coach as well. You know, it's all about consistency. Yes. There's a dedication involved in a sort of a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, you know, it's like, um, I'm not thinking straight. Um, yes, I'm dedicated and yes, I like to go do this and work hard, but the consistency was, became super important. And that's what actually started to enable me also to get a little bit faster is that I don't miss my workouts and I don't cheat on my workouts. And when my coach was telling me to do something, that's what I would do because now somebody was holding me accountable and as I got older, I think I also was able to become more focused and pay attention a little bit more and um, put my all into this. And so I, I work hard at it. And that was another difference as I got older, that I was willing to, to work hard. Whereas before, I was like, ah, you know, I'll do what I can, or I'm tired, or I'm stopping, or I'll cut this one short, um, or I'm only going to run three days a week. And, and that just doesn't work. And when you say that you really started to work hard and focus, was that kind of, you know, not only like, hey, I'll run more, you know, during the week and put in more mileage, but, you know, in the workouts themselves where you just kind of figure out ways to overcome hurdles or overcome bad, bad patches? Yeah, I think when I said I was work hard, like if my coach gave me a pace, I was going to try and hit that pace come hell or high water. Or sometimes even I'm also sort of known for doing all my paces too fast. I have a bad reputation for, um, everything I say I'm going to do, then I'm end up doing them faster. So, <laughs> but I think that I would try and hit those, you know, paces. And if he, that was, um, or the distance that I had to do, I, I really didn't feel good about myself if I didn't complete things the way that he, he wanted me to do them. Um, I, I was okay with me if I did them faster or longer, that didn't seem to matter, even though it should, but I didn't like to to go under or not as fast as he said. And sometimes I found that a little stressful too. I workouts could stress me out before I would go do them because I would anticipate them being hard or that maybe I wasn't going to be able to get through it or it was going to hurt, but I would do it. And do you think having a coach and being accountable to somebody else really kind of unlocked that in you as opposed to saying, you know, um, you know, say you had were well-versed, in the running community and you just were trying to coach yourself. Do you think you'd be able to keep yourself to that same standard or do you think you needed that other person that would be looking at your results and having that judgment of whether how things were going and where you were going to take it? I think I personally needed that. I needed someone that I could report back to. I needed somebody who was watching over me. I needed someone to wag their finger at me if I wasn't paying it, doing it right. And I also needed the kudos when I was doing it right. It became super important to have a cheerleader as well. And even though my husband, Andy, and my family 
are my super fans, you know, I, it was also nice to have someone a little more objective, um, cheering me on and telling me, you know, what I was doing so well as far as, and also what I could work on. But, you know, it was nice having someone in my corner that way that again was objective. Um, but I think when you say, you know, Yes, I needed that, but I'm also been always been that person that I like to to give a hundred percent when I do something. If I'm cooking a meal, I like to make sure it's perfect. I'll sit down before every meal and say, "Oh, I'm sorry if it's like this tastes funny or this isn't as good." Like I apologize for things before um, <laughs> people even dive into stuff because I, I do. I want I want it to be right. I want it to be perfect, and I feel that way about a lot of things. Call that type A, I guess. Um, there you go. Now, were you were you competitive as well? Um, when do you mean? I mean, like, say before you really dove into running. Yeah. So, say before your your early forties, and you started setting all these PRs, like you said, forty six, forty seven. Were you, you know, say like your mid thirties? Were you a competitive person yes. by nature, or did you kind of come no, to that? I think that I've later? always been okay. competitive. You know, like I'm not an easy person to play Scrabble with or, you know, do, or anything. If someone's doing something with me or next to me, I always, I do. I, I like to win or have the challenge or tease people into like, let's make this, you know, bet someone, let's make it real. Um, but yeah, I've always been competitive and I kind of come from a competitive family too. I have a family of athletes and uh, we're, we're all kind of that way. Interesting. So when you were growing up in a, an athletic family, you just mentioned before that you kind of like you wouldn't really stick with sports. So what were your what was your family doing and how did that differ? From I don't what know. You, you know, I just I was the oldest standpoint. child. So I think a lot of my we, and we moved a whole lot of a ton around. And so different schools, different this. I, mean, I think I spent a lot of my childhood in this and that trying to adjust to new homes, new schools, make new friends. You know, I, was, I, I wasn't as into I wasn't on different sports teams, whereas my sisters who are younger than me, you know, they were, they seem to be a little bit more involved in, you know, gymnastics and ballet and dance and running and just, they, they did a little bit more of that stuff. And I, I just, I don't know why I didn't. I think I just more, my parents focused on education with me a little bit more than my sisters. But, um, but as we all grew up, we actually became really good athletes all in a different a different way. I have one sister who's a modern dancer and um, a great dancer and choreographer, and but she can also cycle and run and snowboard and all that stuff. And my other sister's a great cyclist and runner and snowboarder, and I can only run. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you can only run. I love it. I love like the. I'm mean, you're super competitive and yet like amazingly humble <laughs> with your just I only run type comments. Um, it's like so funny. All right, so you're obviously training really hard, very well. Um, you learned a lot about training as you entered these different running groups and got a dedicated coach. From a recovery, sleep, nutrition standpoint, how has that evolved over the last fifteen years? Well, I think I've um, I've always been good at recovering fairly fast. I've been, you know, at the time I was pretty good, you know, a sleeper. I've always been nutritionally, um, eat well, but I'm careful, you know, what I eat. I don't eat a lot of, um, crap. I, I eat things that make me feel good or make, you know, my body work well. And, but then again, I also will, you know, I love seas candy and French fries and my wine and beer and things like that too. So I like some junk too, and I'll eat it when I feel like it, but I don't eat tons of it, but I, I am otherwise very careful and a clean eater that way. And I think that sort of evolved as my running evolved too. You start to figure out what works for you with your running. Like I know what doesn't make me feel good. I know what's going to set my stomach off. I know what's going to make me sleep poorly. So I've learned over the years what to avoid and what works for me. And that's been some, some, some lessons too, because I had many years of having GI distress and stomach problems. And that was, it was, for a while, it was ruining many races of mine. And that took some time to figure out what I was doing or not doing that was creating the GI issues. Um, and I'm not even certain that I've come to a conclusion on it, except sometimes I think it's a hormonal something I'm going through. Sometimes it's you know, not that I shouldn't be eating dairy. Sometimes it's too much fiber. I, I never really know what the trigger is, but I just um, 
avoid some stuff at all costs before hard runs or races for sure. And are these more like, you know, the, the longer runs, like would you have an issue like in a 5k, 10k, or is this more of like anything over an hour? They seem to be when I was having it, I'm sort of in a good phase right now, obviously, but um, I think they tend to be when I'm doing a harder workout in general and sometimes longer. I mean, if I was running 20 miles at a nice, easy, steady pace, I wouldn't have a problem. So it's always when I'm working oh. hard and things get churned up. And sometimes it doesn't even hit me till right after the race is done. And then I'm in agony, you know, for, and then it goes away after an hour or something. But, uh, and then there are times obviously during, during a race, usually after the 10 or 13 mile mark, I can get into big trouble. So, but that sort of has come and gone throughout um, my running career. And like I said, right now I'm in a good phase. So. And that's an issue for a lot of people, especially people with, you know, Crohn's or things like that, where it can be really, um, can really hamper what they're trying to do athletically. And obviously we've all had certain issues, right? Every runner has... Every runner has a GI story for sure. Um, some people it's more chronic and they certainly can be something that can really hold you back. Before we get into the next thing, I do want to say thank you to Run for PR's coaching for sponsoring this episode. Basically, and you you just mentioned before, Jenny, that you know, coaching can be a big unlock for a lot of people. And with Run for PR's, the biggest thing is why have an online coach? Well, it's pretty easy. First of all, for some people, it can be hard to get to your running local running clubs or to have a coach in person, whereas an online coach, people are there. It's very personalized for you, right there at your fingertips, whether it's texting or emailing or giving them a call. Also, with you know the advent of your phones and your Stravas, you can just have any of these. We'll just sync right to your device, and you can just get all of your information right to your coach, and they'll get back to you right away. Best thing to do, best thing to do excuse me, is to go to runforprs.co and check them out. So, with all that being said, let's just dive into 2018 because this is amazing. So before we do this, I want to ask you a question that I feel like a lot of people struggle with. I personally struggle with this. So I can speak just individually. What is it like for you to have the confidence to do something, to attempt something that either you've never done before as an athlete or it's in case of these records that you've set that no one has done before? for your age, like how, how do you have the confidence to do that sort of thing? Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously it, it works out for you, but it just seems, I know I, I struggle with that and I know some other people do too. Well, confidence is a strange thing. I think that, um, I wouldn't take on a lot of these things if I didn't think that it was in my ballpark. And I think some of the races I've done over the last five, six years have led me to believe that these were paces that, with some training that I could achieve in these races. And I, you know, as I get older and, you know, the 55 to 59 um, age group records there, I don't call them soft by any means because they're still very challenging um, records to break, but you know, they get, they get a little bit easier and easier as you get older. And um, I felt that with the way I was running or the way I am running, that these were still achievable um, records and times I could break and they had been around for a long, long time. And I just think that there was something that I realized too, that I'm, I just turned 55 and I'm sort of pioneering this whole, this age group of women kind of coming up on this age uh, of running that there weren't a lot of people or women my age who were running like that at 55, 60, whatever it is. And I'm, this, I'm sort of leading this group of women that's coming up on this. And any record I break, I, I'm pretty certain I might not have it for that long because women are getting faster and faster. So because I'm coming up on this and I'm sort of, again, I'm using the word pioneering just because there aren't, again, that many women my age doing what I'm doing. But because I'd been doing it and I felt like these were achievable times, I thought, okay. I can give this a whirl. I, I've done that time before, somewhere around that time before. The surprise came more when I was actually doing these races even faster than I thought I could or, you know, having my own personal uh, record. So, but, so I thought that was doable, but Matt, I go into every single race. I don't care if it's a local 5K to some 5K, a, a race where nobody even knows who I am. 
a nervous wreck. I'm always nervous. I always lack confidence. And that's sort of the interesting thing is I'm confident enough to try and I freak out and want to throw up the night before. <laughs> I just like you were even you were even nervous talking to me on this podcast. I was like, oh my goodness, you've done such harder things than this, Jenny. You're gonna be great. Um so the night before you want to throw up your your so <laughs> tell me you know, the half an hour, the 20 minutes before a race, is it still there? Or once you uh, start warming well, up, I actually can get nervous a week up before a race too. I just, though, if I think about it, like I can get myself into like a hot, sweaty mess, you know, just thinking about it. <laughs> I hear you. I am nervous as heck. I have a race on Sunday and I cannot stop thinking about it. My yeah. stomach is in knots. It's Monday. I have seven yeah, more I days. Actually, I break out into a sweat or sometimes I, a cotton mouth or I can't think straight or I feel kind of sick. And I drive like my husband, Andy, crazy. I mean, you know, why are you doing this then if you're so nervous or you don't have to do it? I'm like, well, yes, I do. I have to do this. I, I want to do it. It's like, well, then act like you want to do it, you know, but I, I do. I get and it's all about confidence. That's, I think, is that I just, I, I lack some confidence that I'm really going to be able to pull it off. I also have the confidence in knowing, okay, I know what it's going to take to pull this off and it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt. And then that makes me nervous because I know these things hurt. They always do. And what I should have the confidence is to know that I've done this before. It's never as quite as horrible as I think. And I always do okay. And I wish I just believed that in myself. Like after every race, like, okay, I did it. And I did that pretty well. I wish I could go to the next race remembering how the last race was. And that's, that's what's hard. I, I tend to keep forgetting. Um, Why, have you had some experiences that didn't go well that just start to resurface in those moments? Um, I've had, especially with the marathon, you just know how long it is. You know what it's going to take. And it's really it's hard and you've trained so many months for it. So then as you start to get closer to race day, I do, I get really nervous and start to lack the confidence in my training and maybe it's not going to all come together. And maybe I should have done one more 20 miler or something at pace and maybe, maybe, maybe. And, and yes, there's then been those races and you get out there and you feel well-trained and something happens. Your calf blows up. You get, you end up in the porty potties, you know, five times you, things happen. The stars didn't align that day. And, you know, you leave that completely feeling defeated and bummed because it's not like you can just jump back on the bandwagon and go do it again next week. Like, all right, all that training, you know, is is over and I need to recover and then I'll go back and, and do it again. But, you know, so there's those disappointments. And that's what I sort of like about some of these shorter races is if they don't go well, no harm, no fail. I mean, you can actually recover and go do it again in a sooner amount of time, you know, but, um, racing's hard. It's, you know, you have to be mentally there. And once that, once I'm there and the gun goes off, I'm in it, I'm there. And yes, there's many times, even like by mile two, I want to drop out, (laughs) but somehow I play these mind games. I'll even say, okay, if just, you just got to keep this pace for one more mile. And then, you know, you can even hold back a little bit. And then I never do hold back. I always seem to be able to keep the pace or get a little bit faster. And even when I say you have one mile less, which is even if you ran a seven minute mile in, you'll still get this record or you'll still get this. And I don't ever, I never really take it. I never do it. I always still run the pace I've been running. So um, I have to play. There's a lot of things that go through my head, a lot of mind games, but I stay strong and I, keep focused on what I want to accomplish when I'm out there. But yeah, but before I get to the start line, I'm, I get pretty nervous. Now, do you go into each race with specific goals? Um, yes. But sometimes that goal is just to, as a training runner, sometimes that goal is that I'm a pacer and I need to pace this group or I'm just going to enjoy it. I mean, no matter what the goal is, I'm, I know why I'm there. So I, or, you know, yes, I'm going to be trying for an American record. I'm trying to, to get under this time or I'm trying to, whatever, yeah, whatever it is. But yes, I always have some kind of reason why I'm towing the line. All right. So 2018 mountains to beach. So you won this sucker. It was a 251, mm-hmm. 251, 28. Um, 
I read that you were just hoping to break three hours. <laughs> well, I'll say what you did it by quite a bit. Um, so tell me about what you were feeling like going into that race and then kind of go into, all right, executing the plan versus, all right, things are going really well. And I'm just well, the go history behind some of that too, is that, you know, like a lot of people, and I think I might've even heard this on one of your podcasts, I forget, or other ones, but I was one of those, um, Boston Marathon. Um, I shouldn't. I wasn't a survivor. I basically did Boston this year and dropped at mile twenty-one with hypothermia, and I mean, my body completely failed me. And I was, you know, I went to Boston in pretty good shape, and um, I had been injured for about a year and a half or more prior to Boston, and I just really wanted to go. And yeah, even at Boston, I just want to break three at Boston. I'm in good shape. I finally have overcome some injuries. I'm running pretty well, but I only had like an 11 week, 12 week, let me an 11 week training period to Boston. So anyway, I go and, you know, it was a complete fail because of the weather and super disappointing because I had dropped out of Boston the year before during, due to a calf pull and like, Oh my God, I'm now dropped out of two Bostons. And, um, this just wasn't setting with me right at all. And, um, I think I had even dropped out of another marathon because I was injured with a glute tear. It might have been CIM. So I was just like, am I, this is what's happening now. I said, I just have to drop out of every marathon I do. So anyway, I came back from Boston and I knew Mountains to Beach was in six weeks and I wasn't injured. And I just had a, I just, my body didn't like the cold rain and wind at Boston and couldn't handle it. So I thought, okay, I'll just try again at Mountains to Beach. And I got a bib and I got in and I took a couple weeks off. And then I just had about four weeks of tune-up and training. And that's actually maybe what I still needed, even that Boston kind of came up quickly, like I said, just 11 weeks. So I think this extra six weeks was good for me. And I went to Mountains to Beach by myself with really, yeah, sort of no expectations. I just, again, wanted to break three. I wanted a solid race, but more than anything, I did not want to drop out of another marathon. Like that was, that was key. If you say, was there a goal? That was the goal. I didn't want to drop out and I wanted to have a strong marathon. And so another thing that stresses me out, um, actually I should say about racing is waking up early. I'm not good at that. And I get teased about that one a lot too, that I am not an early riser and a lot of races are early risers. My body's just not ready to go yet, but mountains to beach is a 6am start. So I found that a little um, stressful, like how early I was going to have to get up and be ready to do that. But I had a place a half a mile from the start, woke up, did my thing, jogged down there. And I just, I guess I felt no, I didn't have a huge amount of pressure on myself and I was just going to let myself run kind of around 650s, I guess it was, something like that, up in Ojai, that first six-mile loop, and then just see what I could do heading down to Ventura. And I don't know. I just started clipping people off because a lot of people, as normal, go out way too fast, and I just didn't do that. I sort of held my ground in what I wanted to do, and I just was able to start passing people one by one. I was probably in the top 10 when we went left Ohio and was heading down the hill. And then I just, just kind of kept running next to people, passing them, running next to people, passing them. And I was just clicking off 6.30, 6. I just, I just was staying on a really nice pace that did not feel bad to me at all. And then I think someone told me, oh, you know, there's number one and two are ahead of you, you know, go get them. I'm not, I'm not going to race myself and try and hit these people and then wear myself out. Like if I catch them, it's going to be organically because they're slowing down. And if people are telling them that I'm coming up on them, then hopefully I'll pass them. And so I still, I just stayed around 6.30, 6.35s or whatever it is and just kept moving. And then I came up finally on the first woman and I said, how you doing? And she's like, fine. I didn't, you know, she wasn't feeling so great. And I said, I'll run with you a little while. And then she's like, I don't really, I don't think that's going to work. I'm not feeling great. I'm, and so I said, okay, see ya. And then I left and and I knew my dad was at the finish. It's the first marathon or race he's ever seen me do. I'm like, huh, I'm going to win this damn thing. And my dad's there and I'm not giving this up at this point. And now I have about two, three miles to go. And I just went for it and decided I wanted to win. And, and nobody passed me. And I, I did it. 
That's awesome. It's, it's so special to hear that your dad, his first race watching you, you win the sucker. So what did you close in? Do you know your last couple um, of Probably miles around the same thing. I think I was still around that 6.30, pace. I, I don't believe I got a whole lot quicker. I was definitely getting tired. And when you get down into Ventura, it feels like a sort of a slight incline for a while. And then you get to the beach. It just seems like relentless to, to get to the finish, you know. So, um and there's also sort of this point, too, where I knew I was going to win. So I guess there's a part of me, too, that wasn't so worried about my time. I really wasn't watching the clock as much. So I even sort of surprised myself when I came up, saw the clock as well. Um, and so that was fun. That was, that was a really fun day to, to do that and to, to go from dropping out of marathons to having a crappy race at Boston to and after being injured for a year and a half or more to winning a marathon and beating, you know, all the people and, and doing that. At, I was then 54. I hadn't quite turned 55 yet. It was really special and um, certainly does something to your psyche that, okay, in my mid fifties, I, I can do anything here. I'd certainly say so. Now you described your, your pacing and how you felt as a very like positive, like glowing experience like you're just clicking off these miles it sounds so relaxed and like you're running free running happy and just making it happen do you have any of that any of that competitive juice going with you like hey i'm gonna like i need to you know avenge those three dnfs like do you have any of that or was it were you trying to stay positive i was trying to stay positive and sometimes avenging those dnfs that's kind of scary because they actually can make you have another DNF. Like I, I wanted to be careful too. So even on some of the little uphills at mountains to beach, if they'd slowed me down a titch, I'd say, okay, it's slowing me down a little. I'll make it up on the downhills. Like I just, I was going to go with how my body was feeling and my body felt, felt really, it felt really good. And I, I didn't want to do anything that was going to jeopardize how I was feeling either. And if picking it up to catch number one or catch number two or, you know, trying to get that guy, like that could also mean pulling my calf, having my butt hurt. Like I just, I wasn't going to go there. And so I just let my body do what it was going to do. And 251, was that a PR? No, I, when I was 47, I ran a 246 and I just missed qualifying for the marathon Olympic trials by 10 seconds. I did that in Eugene, Oregon. And that was a bittersweet race. I mean, that was, I ran, that was a big PR for me and I just missed qualifying by 10 seconds. So that was, you know, a great race, but that's my fastest was 246. And then when I was 52, I ran a 249 at CIM up here and broke a 30 year uh, course record for my age group up here. That was, it was held by a sister, Marion Irving. Um, we called her the flying nun. Um, she had it for 30 years. And so um, I broke that course record and uh sorry about that sorry about that i'm like okay. fighting a head cold here um 249 at age 52 that's <laughs> unbelievable that is so awesome my goodness that that really is incredible and but like i said as we get older the women are coming up on me i didn't i held that for a couple of years and then yeah molly friel turned 50 and um snatched that from me <laughs> so but, and molly friel was on this episode was, was on this podcast in january she had a great uh-huh. cim in 2017, she kicked some she serious did. button. Um, yeah, both I mean, both of you got it going on. There's no question about that. So when did you start to target the uh, the 55 to 59 American records? Well, when, did that, when did that come into reality? What in came into reality out? about that is that, well, first of all, um, I'm not with my old coach, Brett, anymore. And then I hired this new coach, um, Jenny Spangler. And she's out of Chicago and a marathon Olympian in her own right. She won the Olympic trials right before going to Atlanta, I think in 1982, I want to say, or something. But so I've hired her and been working with her. And um, I, you know, so some of it came after talking with her. But also when I was, uh, when I was running Mountains to Beach, there just happened to be these people on the course who were watching me and cheering me on. And then they Facebooked me later, wrote me an email and just basically said, you know, we saw you. We now know how old you are. We thought you were, you know, 25. And I said, well, that might have been a 25-year-old, actually, the first person you saw. That wasn't me. But, you know, yeah, later on, I did end up winning. And um, But, you know, they, 
so they said, okay, well, no matter what, what you just did is amazing. And, you know, have you thought like, you know, the marathon American record for 55 to, you know, 59 is, I think it's a Joan Benoit has it or someone like, like you should start thinking about these American records that you might be able to break, especially for the marathon. And that had never even really occurred to me. So someone just randomly who watched me on the course sort of planted the seed. And then I started, you know, being a little obsessive compulsive and getting on USATF, you know, records and seeing what all these records were for these races. And I knew I was going to start doing just a little bit of shorter stuff through the summer because Jenny, the coach, you know, she, she thought I should just, you know, back off, you know, these long runs and marathon stuff for a little bit and work on my speed and some short stuff. And so when I started seeing these times, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I can try and go for some of some of these. It, it, that could be fun. And so that's when it started with Wharf to Wharf and then the 5K. And I haven't really put my heart set on a 10K yet, but I'm sure there's one out there I could do. And yeah, the 10 miler. So. Yes. Yeah, so the, uh, the, so the 5K was on, as you said, August 11th, you ran 1805. <laughs> so you broke the, the previous record by 27 yes. seconds. In yeah. a 5K, which is <laughs> remarkable. Um, you know, 27 seconds is a long time yeah. in a 5K. Yeah, that's for sure. And you ran 5:49 pace going in. Was that was that something that you thought you had in you? Was that the, kind of the range that you had expected? I expected I could do sort of what I've done fastest in my whole life, which is like an 18:20 or 18:25. I've just, you know, that's another thing that's sort of funny about me too is that for someone who runs as fast in marathons as I do, my my shorter stuff should be actually a little bit faster. And I think that's because I never really trained for it. But if you look at, well, if you run a, a 17 this, then you should be able to do a 249 that marathon. I never worked out with those things. I always seem to run faster, longer distances than my sh- shorter stuff dictated. So I just thought that I could maybe do what I've done in the past around an 18, 20, 25. I'm like, okay, I can kind of be in an 18, 32. I think I could probably do that with some you know, five, six weeks of training. And so that's, yeah, but you know, then I started doing 800s, 400s, all these things. And some of my, um, my splits and my times, they were just sort of leading that I could run fast, but no, I didn't think I would run that fast. Um, so, so what were your, what were your mile splits for that? Um, I kind of, I forget, I'd have to sort of look at that, but I think I might've hit anywhere from six or five forty fives to five fifties in there. I, I I kept that pretty, pretty solid, um, pacing. Okay. So you, so you went out, so you I went did, out pretty yes. fast, which is always a mistake in a 5k okay. cause there's no build up to that, you know? And so I thought too, well, there's a chance I could, you know, die, you know, around the last half mile. And, you know, I did, I started getting super tired. It's that point one that kills you. You always forget that that's like another, 40 seconds or whatever it is 30 seconds <laughs> oh that's the part i love that's the part where i can go anaerobic it's like i like live like the aerobic death for three miles i can finally go anaerobic <laughs> so but i don't know i just and then i passed i wasn't first in that one either i think i passed the first woman um who is also a master's runner and i think has gone to the olympic trials for a marathon too but i passed her with about an, another mile to go and i just again sort of just held on Sometimes when I want something bad enough, I, I just like, I can, I can do it, but it wasn't easy. That's for sure. But I did it. I didn't feel too horrible though, either. So, um, not that I could have gone faster, but it wasn't, I wasn't suffering. And you spoke before about how you don't think these records necessarily last forever because of just who's coming up after you, um, you know, in the next few years or even extended out, um, you know, 10 to 20 years when you see just the state of women's running in America now, maybe it's unparalleled as it's, as it's ever been. The, the professionals are really doing well. They're winning major marathons um, and other races as well. And you've kind of seen the entire evolution yeah. of this because the beginning of the Olympic marathon was what was about 35 yeah. years ago. So you've seen this whole evolution. What has it been like for you to watch this whole process? And what's your feeling about the sport? Well, now? it's funny too, because I wasn't really a runner or much interested in running for the beginning of all that stuff. So I didn't really even know half of 
the battles women went through or what was going on in women's running until I became more of a competitive runner. And that's when you start, you know, learning so much more and, and realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm part of this kind of great generation, you know, well, I shouldn't say I'm in that generation, but starting the generation of these women runners up and coming. And, and it makes you feel super proud of the races that you do from, you know, being able to run Boston. Like I remember too, when, I forget what it was. I didn't even know if I wanted to go to Boston or something like that. And so it's like, you have to go to Boston. Like women couldn't even run Boston for a while. They're like, if that's your duty, like, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, it makes me feel, um, you know, privileged and it makes me feel really great about the strength in women running and that not only are we out there running in force, but we're actually all now taking up half of the fields. And not only that, we're beating so many of the men too. Um, and I like it that we can be competitive with each other and we can be competitive with the men as well. And that's, that's super empowering. And there are certain terms that I've always sort of found offensive. Like I, I hate that term when guys were saying, Oh, you know, he got chicked or, you know, you chicked him. Like that, that stuff really annoys me. It's like, no, I'm actually just a faster runner than him. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Faster runner than most, but, I would say. Cool. And and it, you also see now there's like just in terms of name recognition, like the five best women marathoners in America. I'm just I'm just saying five because it's it's an easy number, but you know, there's really like the top tier is, is bigger than five. I think most most runners could give you some version of the top five. Mm -hmm. But if you said the top five men marathoners in America I think you'd have trouble getting people to even right. name five that are that are that are competitive at this point. Not I mean competitive, I mean competitive on the world stage. Right. And I think a lot of it too that half the time is because we can't pronounce anybody's names. <laughs> but you know, you, you kinda know who they are, but I, I always you know, it's it's um but you're right. I think that we know I mean if you're talking about just Americans that's easier, but if yeah, worldwide it's a little bit it's harder, um, for sure. Um no, it's true. And I think you see like you see what Shalane did at New York and you see what Des did in Boston and you see what Kara Goucher has done for a yep, while and yep, Amy Craig. Yep. And then you and then the, then you get the newer kind of the newer crop of runners as well. They just for whatever reason. And I don't know what I guess I can't even describe what it is. And, you know, my job is to talk about running yeah. on some level is is that they just have had this staying power, not just with female amateur runners but with men as well like they've, they've they've crossed that gender gap it's just hey these people are really good it's almost the same way you see it in tennis where like men's men Amer american tennis players who are men you know there really isn't you know you say the last 10 years or so there really has been a dearth of people that have really grabbed the public attention whereas the women have done so in right. spades i think there's a lot of parallels right. there and i think yeah there's just there is, there's a lot out there with women and girl power and girls on the run and getting, you know, girls fit and more running and nutrition and thinking differently about our bodies. And there's just so much out there, um, about women and sports. And, um, so I think everyone's paying a little bit more attention to that and that, you know, you can have these athletic women who are also, you know, mothers and good, good cooks and enjoy wine and like to do other, th you know, and travel like that. It's also become sort of, it's a well-rounded person. And that's what I think is also super important as we get older and these super athletes is that we also have a whole other stuff, a lot of other stuff going on or other interests. And that's important. Right. And people who are super yes. competitive. Right. Like you see that as well. Like the people who they're not apologizing for wanting to win and be super competitive and to do it in a boisterous way. If that fits their right. personality, right. Not everyone has to fit, do their own thing, but to see like that whole meme of Shalene saying, you know, dropping the F bomb when she was finishing. I think that's part of the reason that resonated where like, if it was a guy, it might, it might not have been yeah. much of a story, you know, it might've just been like, Oh, that's cool. And then it would have yeah. just died. But I think it was because it was a woman and just being, you see that passion and there was just so much intentionality behind it. It just kind of like, it, it was kind of a new thing, I think, for a lot of people who maybe aren't as tied into that movement 
um, from the I beginning. I agree. And I think no matter what, you know, even though they're the most fabulous, you know, fast men out there too, I just, I don't, I, I think there's something to be said just again about women and competitive women and who take it seriously and train hard. That there's just a lot of these women, they, they, they do, they juggle a lot. And um, the fact that they can do everything in their lives and then still go, you know, win New York or win these things and train as hard as they do and break records. Yeah, they're going to say, fuck, yeah, I can do it all. And, you know, we throw up our fists and say, you know, go for it. Um, and yay you, because we do. We, we handle a lot of things. There's a lot on our plates as women, I think. Um, so, um, and again, not to take that away from men either, but, uh, no, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not like a a comparison. It's just like, it's it's true in its own right, whether there's a comparison connected to it or not. So, you know, and, you know, so I think I sort of said that to be said too, when I say that a lot of these things I've done, you know, I think that, yes, I might not hold on to these records for, for that long. I don't know, but there's also that sort of part where, everyone's bodies are going to have to hold up into their fifties as well too. And if they've been running since, you know, high school and college or um, they keep on going or however hard they've been working and competing, you know, they have to stay healthy, strong, and, and also keep up the desire to want to do this in their fifties. So that, that remains to be said too, like how long can, you know, women hold on to if they've been running their whole lives. It's true. I mean, you you see it even with college yeah. runners who, when they leave a college program, a lot will just say, OK, I need to take right. a breath here. And they kind of back off for a while and maybe they'll get back in later. Maybe they don't. But you're right. There is the longevity and consistency component can be tough for people. Say they've been say they competed professionally for 15 years. So they want to keep going professionally for another 25 years. Not professionally, but you keep training at a high level for an additional 25 right. years or 15 and years yeah, or something like that. And yeah, ultimately people are going to slow down and that's what happens, you know, especially if you've been running since high school. I think for me, it's helped that I didn't start till a little bit later in life. And yes, it's been fun and kind of amazing that I'm even getting faster at times at, at 55. Like I don't, I can't explain why that's happening other than, um, yes, consistency, working hard, um, putting my mind to it and then plain old probably genetics. Um, but you know, I, I think that there's something to be said about starting a bit, little bit later too, and not, you know, putting all that wear and tear on my body as, as a young kid or, you know, young adult, but maybe so. And, and it gives you a little more motivation yeah. too. I think I've, the, the runners I've talked to that have hit really, you know, part, pardon the pun here, hit their stride in their forties is that there's this, there's this sense of newness, mm-hmm. whereas someone who's been running consistently for 20 years, you know, doing like trying to set a 10 KPR at age 47, while it certainly is a big challenge, it, it doesn't have like that new freshness right. to it as opposed to somebody else. And I think, again, that that can certainly be nice. It's why you see a lot of people kind of experiment with new you know, new sports, say someone's like in cycling and they get into running, it can provide this new fresh mentality or they try obstacle course racing. It kind of does that as well. And I think that maybe, like you said, maybe that did help you on some level compared to some people who've been running for, you know, consistently, say for 30 right, years or right. something like that. Um, so anyway, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm glad that I can be inspiring to some other, you know, women and even men, you know, my age and, or under and, it's a, uh, you know, but I do, I do think that a lot of it is just, it's attributed to, um, yeah, the consistency and the hard work and taking care of your bodies and also the focus. I think when we get older, we also know how to focus on things and um, be more attentive to stuff. And so that, that's helped me as well. Um, but. Uh, and I love the fact that, so, you know, Say you're 46, you were 10 seconds away from the Olympic trials qualifier. You set your marathon PR. And like you said, it was bittersweet. But at the same time, you stuck with it, right? You didn't get bogged down by it. And then nine years later, you set a 10-mile PR. (laughs) I mean, I think that's there's the lesson right there, right? Like I don't have to dive into what that means. Anyone who heard that can understand that. And I think that that really is remarkable. So 
So before we get into the, the last couple of questions, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been such a wonderful well, conversation. Well, I can't tell you how um, fun it is for me to be invited to be on the show. And I feel honored. And, you know, I always think, ah, who's going to, who cares what, I, what I'm doing? But, you know, <laughs> I guess there's some people out there. Me. <laughs> but <laughs> I care. That's for but, sure. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have, you know, their thoughts or questions for me, you know, but, uh, that this is kind of a good way to um, get it all out there in a public manner. There you go. All right. So let's dive into the last couple. When you're out on a run, are you wearing headphones? Or Never. No headphones? I don't wear headphones. The only time sometimes I'll throw on headphones or I'll listen to a podcast or something is if um, I really just have an easy six miles, seven miles, and I'm almost just feeling like I don't want to run or get out the door. And so then I'll put on headphones and, um, you know, listen to something, but overall, I, I never, I never plug into anything. Okay. So what advice do you give others about running that you have trouble following? Oh, there's a lot of those. Um, I have a problem following, um, probably like my easy recovery days. And as again, as a coach and that easy days, recovery days really should be easy days, recovery days. And I tend to run those a little bit fast always. And then you sort of get into this mode like, oh, well, I just did that at this pace. Now I'm just going to keep it up for the rest of my run rather than holding back. You like, you should, I just, I get competitive with myself or that, or I just want to get it done. And I end up running sometimes those easy recovery days a little bit too fast, which can be hard on your body. Cause then you just never really have the time to heal or to recover for your next, you know, workout sometimes. So sometimes I'd feel like I'm just tired a lot. Um, so I, I really need to, to work on that still. Um, I still am not great at cross training. I'm not great at stretching and rolling and doing stuff after my runs. Um, but I am pretty good at getting massages and body work. I'm like, oh, I'll just have somebody else do that for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Like, so did you do the exercises I told you to do? I'm like, no, you're doing it for me. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, being a, the, that's one thing too. Yeah. The whole stretching and keeping my body um, kind of loose and not tight as, is, is something I always should be working on as well. Um, and um, other than that, I mean, those are probably the two, two major things. See, look at that. You still, still plenty of ways yeah. to improve. You're kicking butt, still plenty for of ways to For sure. I love it. And I, you know, I would like to be able to work on the anxiety stuff I was sort of telling you about. Like, that would be a nice thing to be able to work on with myself, too, as far as learning how to deal with the angst, you know, before racing to make myself still feel ready and kind of psyched to go, but without, you know, stressing my body out so much about it. Yeah, yeah, I can, I, I believe it. All right. So what's, if you could run one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Mm, one more race. Um, I think I would pick a 10 mile distance, but I'm not sure which 10 miler that would be. I've done so many races here. Um, but I do like the 10 mile. I do a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of races I've basically do do every year. And, um, That's, um, I can't just say a distance. It has to be a race. You can just say a distance. That's fine. There's not, it's funny because around here, there's not a lot of, when I say here, I mean, New England, there's not a lot of 10 Yeah, there aren't races. in general. Uh-uh. It, it, yeah. But it's nice because like for you, like, it's just like, it's, it's like a really hard hour long yeah. effort. And I think it's still challenging, but it's, I don't know. So I'd have to say rather than a certain race, if I could run one race every year and do it well, it would be the 10 miler at this point. Now, do you consume any nutrition when you run, run for no. the 10 miler? Um, I only really take things in, in the half marathon and up. Um, so probably around maybe the seven or eight mile, I might take something there, but usually anything under, you know, hour 10, something like that. I probably, I don't. Cause sometimes I've always thought that maybe some of that stuff contributes to my, um, tummy issues. So I, if I don't have to take it, I don't, and I don't drink a lot of Gatorade and all that stuff on the course either. I just drink water. Um, but 
I was really experimenting and I do try like with the marathon and higher distances of, of drinking that, that you can, um, I was doing that and that actually sat pretty well for a while and I wouldn't even need to take gels or anything in for a good 14 miles. And so that was good. And then I'd take a couple gels. Um, so the best I can do is actually try and get stuff in me before so that I stay satiated for a good amount of time, like at least 13, 14 miles before I have to take anything. And I've also found now that oatmeal, which I really resisted for years and years, actually works kind of well for me. But other than that, um, I just, yeah, to the gels and all that, but not till really for a thir- for, for really just a 13 miler and up. Yeah, I think especially for how long it takes you to run these races, I think that's pretty yeah. standard, right? I think most people don't consume nutrition if they're running for 70 minutes yeah. or less, which is, you know, like for me, you know, I'm, you're covering a lot more yeah. distance in those 70 minutes than I am. But like, I don't even like, I'm going out for run for an hour. I don't even think about, you know, consuming right. anything really. Um, all right. So what's a race? What's a bucket list race for you? What's one race you really want to do? You haven't done um, I haven't done New York yet. And I was actually signed up to go. I am signed up to go. Um, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do that after all. And, um, so New York is definitely one and, um, maybe some, I, and I actually, another one I really want to do is uh, grandma's and, um, I haven't done that one before. So that's on my bucket list as well. Uh, so, and then probably an international one at some point that seems kind of fun, a destination race, but I wouldn't want to take that one too seriously. I don't think. Yeah, right. Because there are a lot of things that can go wrong if you put too much. Yeah, just the travel, the you know, the adjusting to time. The you know, you go and you also want to travel as well. I'd have to like do the race and then probably travel as afterwards, or else it would be no fun. So. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You just be. You'd be. Yeah. To say nothing of like all the new foods too. Right. We've already talked about GI issues. Like that would probably like throw you. I'll have spaghetti spaghetti with nothing on it. Yeah, that's not gonna be fun. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes the most boring travel meals in history so um but so yes those would be bucket listers all right last one who's your dream running partner hmm. well, i've been very fortunate to be able to run with shadrach uh, Biwat here in Folsom, and he's, he's pretty fun to run with but as far as a, if i could dream run with somebody um I think it would be pretty fun to run with um, either Shalane or Amy Hastings. That would be, or actually, or Desi. Those, those, those women are just like my heroes. So that'd be fun. There you go. And I'm. Well, you're, well, you're, you're, you're other people's oh. heroes, Jenny. I, I, this is, this has been such a good conversation. Thank you so much for coming but, on the show. I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of people are going to get quite a bit oh, out of it. Thank you so much too. Again, I feel, I feel honored to be interviewed by you. So I appreciate it. All right. right. Have a great night. Thank you, Jenny, for coming on the show. This was fantastic. You know, normally this is a show for kind of the the normal everyday runners, not for the world record setters and just the, the, the most elite runners in the world. But I could not have been more excited to have Jenny on this show because her story, her running story is just kind of like an amplified version of one that a lot of people are trying to live right now. And she was just able to blow it out to the the most furthest extent of what her body is capable of doing. And that is certainly something that we can all dream for and hopefully attain as well. So Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks again to run for PRs coaching. I cannot recommend having a coach strongly enough for me. The two biggest hurdles that I face in my running, I have plenty of hurdles in life, but from a running perspective, the two biggest ones are, not having to think about what workouts I need to do and make sure I'm being held accountable. And that's where having a coach is very instrumental for me. And I think that if you don't already have a coach, check them out. And on the form, when you sign up for more information, just type in Rambling Runner in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thank you so much for listening and have a great run.